Look, I'm sorry about your school trip. It's fine. Well, I got your little, uh, Kelka shows. <laughs> I know you'd say I'd prefer the cash, but I know for a fact that you're gonna love these. Oh, hip kicks. No way. You're a good kid, deep down. Dad. It's no biggie, you know. I just, uh, cleared out some space from my wardrobe, you know, sold some designer pieces. So more space for me and fancy footwear for my boy. <laughs> winner, winner, poulet dinner. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 280 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that has a lot of sympathy for Gail this week, because I just realised that I don't know what the fuck WTF stands for either. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm getting us matching cheetah print onesies for our Christmas. <laughs> God. They kind of blended into each other. It, it was proof <laughs> that that's a decent camouflage. Yay. Because when the two of them crossed over, it, it, they definitely just looked like one being. Yeah. Which I guess is what, uh, I don't know, a, a whore load of cheetahs look like in the wild, <laughs> I guess. It works. <clears throat> I don't believe that couple is in trouble at all. No. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. What is wrong with this show? They're in their I will onesies be saying that an awful day. lot. I will be saying that an awful lot this week. Oh, really? Yes. Anyway, how are you this week? Oh, fucking tired, man. Oh, so sleepy. Ugh. This is our first Saturday morning podcast in such a long time. Ages and ages. How did we do this every week in the beginning? Uh, typically, I've forgotten about last week's Corey by Saturday. And now I've been asked <laughs> to remember it. This does not bode well. It's a good thing you write notes. And I was a bit of a, bit of a rush on Friday to yeah. get the notes done so we could get out. So we could go into Lansing to the Silver Bells Parade. Silver bells <clears throat> in the city, and yet there are no silver bells, just big red balls. <laughs> You're welcome, ladies. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that again. Yeah. We got trapped. <laughs> we this got... is the strangest parade route. It goes in a, in in a, a loop. loop, and we got caught inside the loop. Right. And you can't cross the street. No. And we only were there to see Steli and the Eaton Rapids. Marching, marching band. band. So they were like the second marching band. So after 15 minutes, we were kind of done and wanted to get home. And we couldn't get out. Yeah. We were kettled. And it was difficult to see the parade because there were so many people. Yeah, that's another thing that was wrong with it. Right. Too many people. Too many people. And I'm standing on the sidewalk to try to see. There is space on either side of me for people for other people to stand. And this group of four older women come and stand right behind me. <laughs> and I say to them, you know, you know, there's there's space over here. It might be easier for you to see the parade if you stand over here. And they're like, oh, no, love, we're fine. And I'm like, well, I'm not fine. And I move. <laughs> Who stands like right behind someone? Old people. Like right behind someone. Old people do that. Uh, immediately after a pandemic. Like, no, this is fine. Those old I'd people survived the you. pandemic. They think they're invincible. <laughs> <laughs> they 
We almost missed the parade altogether because our Thai food took so long because Thai Village was hopping last night. I was hoping. It's a good Thai restaurant. It is a great Thai restaurant. Now, the last time we were there, we saw Jesus and Freddie Mercury having dinner together. Because it was just before Halloween. Right. Yes. Not because of <laughs> the actual Jesus and Freddie Mercury turning up. Well, how do you know? It may have been Jesus and Freddie Mercury having dinner together. That moustache looked fake, <laughs> as did Freddie's. <laughs> and last night, there was a young man who looked kind of like Pedro Pascal sitting in a booth across from us. And it was so packed, these two, these two women came in. And asked if they could sit with him because there was no other place else to sit. And and he said yes. And they had like this lovely chat while they were eating their Thai food. And they had no idea who one another was. And that's why I love Thai Village. Because magic happens there every time we go. (laughs) And that's our commercial for Thai Village. (laughs) That's our commercial for Thai Village. Try the peanut curry. It's massive. The fried rice just never disappoints. And I can't try anything else because the fried rice is so good <laughs> we, we we need to wrap this up let's, let's, get, let's moving. get going let's get moving on the shite <clears throat> shall we preamble my dear yes please give us some of that spicy Corey news Ooh, spicy or quickly written Corey news <laughs> no or obscene finger gesture of Corey news <laughs> Kathy to the rescue. Claire Sweeney, who plays Ty's mom, is set to appear on Dancing on Ice with partner Colin Grafton. So Ty's not in Dancing on Ice, but his mom is. I'm growing to really like Cassie because she was kind of good this week. Right. And but confusingly so. But I'm so confused about her addition to the cast because she joined and then she left. And then she, and came, then she back. came back, and then she disappeared, and now she's come back, and, and now she's everything's gone fine. Dance, and now she's going dancing on ice, right? Hmm. Well, it's because it it seems like it's it's a quick surgery since Alan Housel had that ACL surgery. Oh, you think so? And is laid up. Maybe. And that and that's going to be weird too, because Ty is going to disappear, and how are they going to explain that? Just as Fuzz comes back. Yeah. Of course, they still haven't explained where the hell Aggie is. Oh, we're getting we're getting away from the topic here. Anyway, yes. I don't know. Claire Sweeney, a, a marvelous addition to the cast, mm-hmm. but confusing. But hardly ever there. Oh well. And every time she appears, she seems to be a different person. <laughs> Joan Savage, who worked in the industry for sixty years, including as Norris's dance partner on Corey, has died at the age of eighty-nine. You won't have remembered her. No, I remember the the dancing from the Blackpool episodes from Mm -hmm. the classic Corey. Right. From the 2000s, 2001. I can't remember. They were good. They were good episodes. She was in Dad's Army as well. Yes. Yes, I think So really, a a real working man's actor. Right. So, which is what most of them are, which is why they have strikes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Because most of them don't fly around in really expensive jet airplanes. Alan Halsell does. Does he? 
Condolences. No. Condolences, yes, to her family. And finally, congrats to Sally Ann Matthews on the graduation of her son, James, who is following in his barrister dad's footsteps and going into law. Wow. So maybe he can consult the show and, and figure out all the problems <laughs> with how they write the law. Oh, you're asked so much, Helen. I do. I do. And that's Corey News. Do you know, for a quickly assembled Corey News, bravo. It's always quickly assembled. I don't know why you're shocked. Letting light in upon magic. <laughs> and as ever, if Corey News does one thing, it leads us seamlessly into our feedback section called Everyone's a Critic. What the hell is this? You can't change the music. I've changed the music. Without telling me. It's for this reaction. <laughs> Let's listen to that again. Let's not. Because what does it sound like? Sounds like Christmas on Mars. It's Everyone's a Critic. And it sounds like Everyone's a Winner Baby by Hot Chocolate. Does it? <laughs> Please. Yeah. Don't! <laughs> I stand by Christmas on Mars. There's no pleasing some people. Anyway, Especially when you bring something on them. There's no feedback this week. Feedback, though, is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. <laughs> Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com and our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Our world podcast for coffee section kind of doubles as our everyone's a critic section. Mm. Thanks to Noel for our coffees this week. Thank you, Noel. Am I American? He writes. <laughs> Why not Canadian or Lithuanian? Perhaps I'm German. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'm not South African. Or am I? <laughs> the game is well and truly afoot. Can't possibly be Canadian. I know Canadians. You, sir, are no Canadian. Canadians are self-deprecating and humble. That's not humble about this. Where's the hubris in this? The hubris was last week oh, okay. when I said that man is definitely an American because we're the only arrogant assholes out there. I think Noel is very much from the home counties of England. That's my guess. I don't, I don't know many arrogant English people. I don't I'm, know why you think he's arrogant. It's not a bad thing. He just seems very brash and arrogant and American, which is not, which is a compliment. Does that sound like a compliment, Noel? <laughs> I expect to hear from you midweek. <laughs> it is a compliment. Anyway, thank you to Noel for our coffees this week. And thank you to Pickles. Pickles! Pickles Wait. writes, cheers and a caramel marvel from one pair of 100% all-fat breasts to another. <laughs> and her boob. Hi, Gav. Oh my god, as if I couldn't love Pickles more. <laughs> Thank you. I love her more. Both of them already friends of the podcast. Yeah. But going that extra mile right. to get us our coffees this week. Yes. Which we are actually drinking this yes. week. Yes, yes, because it's morning. I am drinking out of my Talk of the Street mug, which has my face on it. <laughs> yes. And yours. I think those are great mugs. I sometimes forget that we have our faces on the back of my phone case. Yes. So when I'm holding my phone up, 
people are seeing my face and your face and then my face. <laughs> Whereas now you're looking at my face and my face and your face. Mm. It's not bad. Mm. Anyway, thank you both for our coffees this week. It's very much appreciated. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about grapefruit sex segments. You were going to say grapefruit sexments. No, I was going to say sections. Oh. I don't think either's going to help you. No. Um, this is Sally trying to force Tim to eat a healthier diet. That's right, this was Nick complaining about <laughs> Spider living with him and eating his grapefruit segments for breakfast. I was Gavin and you had frost on your pumpkin. I, it was so cold last year during Silver Bells of the City that we stayed home and watched our child freeze on TV. And I they, don't think we even did that, did we? I did. And they couldn't even play their instruments. They were just holding them up pretending to play them because all the valves were frozen. It was pretty chilly. It was... So cold. We'd had an early snowmageddon and Buffalo got four feet of snow, so guess where we went over Christmas? <laughs> we had conflicting stories of how far our dog was prepared to walk for his morning pee because again of the snow. Hmm. Last year's Silver Bells was a calculated effort to kill children. <laughs> and with the clock ticking towards her day in court, Bernie encourages Howie to fake a Mega Millions lottery win in an attempt to coax Fern out from the shadows. Simpler times last year. Hmm. Faced with unwanted attention from her schoolmates, Hope sets about exploiting the situation for her benefit, which I think gets a little reference this week. Hmm. Adam is impressed with the work Didi accomplished with Homeless Stew, so offers her a seat at Imran's old desk. Debbie finds herself closer to bankruptcy when her hotels failed to meet their asking price, so looks to offload the bistro. Exonerated for the murder of Charlie, Homeless Stew looks to restart his life by gaining custody of Eliza. And becoming an asshole. Ugh. Fast track to asshole for Homeless Stew. Mm. When Alia refuses to be bullied following the paint attack on Speeddal, Griff and his gang turn their attentions to more violent intimidation. Asha loses a tooth to a fishfinger, Roy kicks ass, and Nick really needs to get that eye checked out. Hmm. A moment of the week was Darien's letter about his asylum experience, and a boring moment of the week was Homeless Stew talking about teddy bears, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. I miss this time Darian. last year. I I miss him a lot. One of yeah, the last times we had decent new teenage characters on the show. Talk about a character just being introduced to serve a storyline. Right, yeah. Anyway, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? <laughs> yes, please. Our first storyline is giving Paul a voice. This is the voice of Paul. <laughs> that's that's basically the theme tune to the voice. Is this is the voice 
Oh, the that's hit. like my new critic music. Will we listen to that no, again? Please. On Monday, poor Bernie is morose at home, which Dev wastes no time in blabbing to Asha and Nina about, wanting them both not to talk to Paul or Gemma. They all urge Bernie to tell a family about getting charged and the upcoming plea hearing, but Bernie refuses. At the Quad House, Gemma is still convinced that Joseph is still sick, but even Joseph insists that he's fine now and leaves for school, which allows Gemma and Chesney to argue whether all of this is in her head or not. Chesney furiously says that there's nothing wrong with Joseph. And at this point, I was starting to think of Munchausen's by proxy. Huh. I think there's something wrong with that kid. I think there really is something wrong with that kid. I don't know that we make this much of a big deal of this if it's just Gemma worried about Paul. Right. I don't know that it goes into another week. Right. And although we never really mentioned that again, it was just the fact that it was brought up. Yeah. And they did kind of argue about it. Mm-hmm. There's like, something else going on here. And maybe it is that something really is wrong with Joseph. Yeah. But that old by proxy thing. Anyway. I can't imagine Gemma being that. Is that... A, see, I was starting to think that she had her mental health problems with her depression. Right. But I don't know that one naturally leads into the other. Right, exactly. It would kind of be interesting if it did. No. No? Gemma and that family have been through <laughs> enough. Sure. And the Godflat, Summer is being a homophobe while Billy applies some back cream or something. He's still suffering. A message comes through from Bernie asking for a family meeting. Billy's still struggling. I'll live, he says. Rub it in, why don't you, says Paul. Mm-hmm. Talking about the cream? No. So Bernie goes to the Godflat where Gemma has also showed up and explains that DS Blondie, she says, has charged her with hmm. handling stolen goods. Hmm. DS Blondie, you say? I, I don't know who are how... the only people on the internet who have ever referred to Swain as DS Blondie? No, we're not. But I think we were the first. <laughs> Wait, who else has called her DS Blondie? Other Cory fans. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. It's been mentioned quite a lot this week. But when I searched on DS Blondie Cory mm-hmm. on the Twitter, which mm-hmm. isn't the only source, right? No. It was all us. Yeah. But I think she was mentioned on DS on the Digital Spy or something as DS Blondie. But anyway. Yeah, but was it this week on Digital Spy? No. Hmm. I think I think I'm going to take credit for it. Yeah. And I I, I don't normally do that. They need that. to start paying us. Let's I don't, be honest. I don't normally. You you're the one that takes credit for things. <laughs> but I think I'm going to take credit for this one. Anyway. Anyway. She calls it a mountain out of a molehill and explains that Joel Thingy will be her brief and she intends to plead not guilty, saying it's her word against Big Garth, which it absolutely is. Right. At the court, though, Joel wants her to plead guilty because, according to him, the evidence against her is damning and it's more than Garth's word against hers, but he doesn't elaborate. No. And then they both mention pictures, but the pictures... We saw the pictures. But the pictures that were taken... She's not, she, she doesn't have stolen goods in her hands. Joel successfully batted that away last week. Right. This could so, be anything. This could just be two friends. One's loaned the other some right. money. Yeah. So what is this damning evidence? We never get to find out. What are these pictures that supposedly show her with stolen goods in her hands? We never find out. No. It's like the show forgot. <laughs> forgot to put the evidence in. Right. <laughs> uh Bernie isn't having any of this and says that she can't be sent down. 
But when she's in court and she's asked to plead, she sees Paul in the gallery and she decides to plead guilty after all. And there are shocked murmurings from the crowd. Joel makes a plea to discuss the ramifications of sentencing, which only seems to piss off the judge. This gives Bernie a chance to explain to Paul about all this supposed evidence and how pleading guilty will make sure that she's treated leniently, especially when coupled with his MND diagnosis. Back in the court after the break, it hasn't cheered the judge up any, and even taking into account the situation in Paul's condition, she needs to make an example of Bernie and decides that a custodial sentence is appropriate, and the court adjourns for reports, whatever that means. So they make her intentionally cruel for a storyline. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Where this would not happen. This would not happen. My son has less than six months to live. Well, we're going to put you in jail for six months then. Yeah. How, was, how long did your son have to live? Look, checks notes. Six months, I think. Right, yeah. Well, she hasn't been sentenced yet, so... Yeah, it wasn't a violent crime at all. She's not a flight risk. She's not... She's not anything... The judge also seemed to be uh, assuming that Bernie was taking advantage of Shelley. Shelley, yeah. Was taking advantage of Shelley. When it was Shelley's scheme to begin with. Because Shelley had the credit card. Right. So how how is that taking advantage then? No. And she was it, Come on, and Corey. she was not making and she was not making that money to like go on vacation and buy jewellery and selfish things. She was using it to take care of her son, who also has MND. And Shelley was using that money to pay for her carer. Right. And food. Right. Yeah. Come on, Corey. Make it make sense. Seriously. This is not the last time we're going to say these things. (laughs) Oh, dear. Back at the Godflat, Bernie's still pretending that everything is fine and it's no big deal. Paul and Gemma aren't having any of it though and she's forced to admit that Joel reckons that she might go down for six months for this. Paul realises that he's heard six months before this might be all that he has left. Benny tries to look on the bright side. She might get community service or she might get out after three for good behaviour. Yeah, good behaviour, says Gemma. Paul is distraught. He's getting worse day by day, never mind month to month. (laughs) Then we'll make the most of what time we've got left, says Bernie, somewhat cheerily. yes. And so they all go get drunk. Yeah, so fuck it. They all head off to the bistro for pints. Bernie and so Billy... weird everybody going to the bistro for pints. I, I know. They're not like a, a pub in the, next, in the next street. There's the Weather Arms. There's a Flying Horse. There's a pub on the horrible estate that we never see anymore. There's The, there's, the Dog and Gun. There's that pub where Kev went to look for Abby that one time. The Dog and Gun. Is that the Dog and Gun? Yes. Ah. Yes, yeah, so they'll head off to the bistro for pints. Bernie and Billy chat privately, and she apologises for not being there when they need her. He says that they'll miss her, but they'll cope. Paul seems to sense what they're talking about, so later Paul talks to Billy, worried that Billy's back, and being an archdeacon again is going to make it difficult for him to give Paul the care that he's going to need. So Paul decides to speak to the social work and see about getting the PA that Shelley got. Well done, Paul, taking control of your own life yes. for once. Bernie calls Billy Bill. I don't know and if I like that. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. He's not a Bill. He's not a Bill. He's a Billy. Is he a Will? He's not a Will either. He's and a he's Willy. Definitely not a Willy. He's a Willy. He's not a Willy. <laughs> William. 
William. He's a William. He can be a William at times when he's like an absolute asshole. Did you did you see my post from uh, from on Facebook when I was working on some uh, of these nineteenth century portraits, and one of them was of a man named from Glasgow, named William Smelly. Yeah, Smelly's a an unusually popular last name. And 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 that I posted, he had to have been called Smelly Willie in school because Absolutely. Glasgow. If he's lucky, that's what he got called. <laughs> Gemma gets home to find Chesney in a condescending mood, but he senses that he should apologise for not sticking up for Gemma with the evil nurse last week, so that's what he does. This was your point, how mm. the, the nurse was an absolute cow, mm-hmm. and Chesney just let that happen. He yes. appreciates her looking out for Joseph and gives her a hug. Back home, though, Bernie finally lets the mask slip. She's torn apart by this and needs to be with Paul. She can't be sent to jail. They need to be together. Dev tries to look on the bright side that hopefully it won't be as severe as they think, but Bernie is in no mood for this and will never forgive herself for being apart from her son when he needs her the most. And oh my God, Jane Hazelgrove is so good. Yes. It's just a wee shame we gave her moment of the week last week. Well, we gave everybody on Friday the moment of the week last week. Yes, we did. On Wednesday then, Paul and Billy are still dancing around the significance of Paul having to record his voice and are joking about the different accents that he can use. And I don't know if I'm the only one that's watching this thinking, why are they so light-hearted about this? Well, you know, it's gallows humour. I know it's gallows humour, but... Are you 100% gallows humour about stuff like this? I just wonder why, because we were talking about the whole voice thing last week. This is it's exactly like, what I mean. This has been why two are weeks. we talking so much about the whole voice thing? Wouldn't they have got it done and over with already? But no, it's happening this week again, and they've still been fairly light-hearted and joking about what silly voices Paul can get. Right. Yeah, even, even, the, even the doctor at one point... Seems to have had enough of their jokes. Ed arrives. He's in therapy after last week's bathroom scene. He talks about Aggie quite a lot, which makes me think he's providing an alibi for some reason. He's there to install grab rails in case anyone's wondering. Yes. And then it's all. And it's a gift. And Aggie, you know, and if Paul wants to insist upon paying for it, he'll have Aggie to speak to. And I'm like, yes! That's awesome. Where is she? Where is she? Is she downstairs? Let's go look at her. Where the hell is this woman? And then it's off to the hospital. At his appointment, the light-hearted talk about Paul's voice continues with Billy reckoning maybe a Barry White voice would be appropriate. And then does... A voice that sounds nothing like Barry White. The consultant gives Paul a book called I Will Always Be Me, which they can record Paul reading into, which gives them a comprehensive look at how Paul pronounces things. And he's also allowed to record some key phrases. The jokes are over now, and Paul and Billy now treat this as I've been looking at it since it was first mentioned. Fucking terrifying. It's very clever, though. that They wrote this book specifically. It's amazing. And it's real. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. It is incredible. Because you wonder how they do these things, like for the uh, GPS and stuff. Right. 
but I guess there's just a set number of phrases mm -hmm. that contain all the syllables mm -hmm. that you're going to need. You hide it away in a book that somebody can just read naturally mm -hmm. and it kind of tricks them into doing all this training of, right. of how the, the voice is going to work. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It is amazing. I don't know if it needs to be called I Will Always Be Me, though. It's a little bit... Oof. Well, it's it's fucking hell. What are you trying to do to me here? It's it's related to. Oh, I know. Yeah, I get it. It's got to be. Has it got to be? Yes. It couldn't be. Jack and Jill go up a hill. No, because that's infantilizing. It doesn't need to be Jack and Jill. Obviously, it could be Bob and Margaret. That's still so long as there's a hill involved. I need to be need to be firm on that. <laughs> firm on the hill. <laughs> so later Ed has finished his job and going through Paul and Billy's drawers when they come back Paul is a bit down in the dumps understandably and Billy reminds him to live in the moment and suggests they get on and get that book recorded smooches first says Paul so that's what they do so later Paul is using his posh telephone voice to read in his book naked you, you they're both naked while he's reading this book they are both naked I'm just surprised that Ed didn't walk in he reckons getting stuck in the bath was the best thing. He reckons getting stuck in the bath was the best thing that happened. It allowed them to talk, and they're a better team. I love you, Billy," says Paul into the book, and this is enough to get them both crying. Naked. Naked on the sofa with Ed. <laughs> with their in incredibly the hairy chests. It's like Robin Williams up in there. Oh, it's not as bad as that. <laughs> the first time we saw Robin Williams naked, we didn't know he was naked. Did we ever see Robin Williams naked? Yes. Because he's naked He's naked when he hatches out of the egg in Mork and Mindy. I think he's at least topless in Good Morning Vietnam as well. And he's naked when he... No, that was Jonathan Winters. Never mind. Anyway, that's as far as we get with that this week. A lot of the Bernie stuff doesn't make sense. You know, they are claiming that there is this damning evidence and we never get to see it. Unless they're talking about those pictures that we did see, but those weren't damning evidence. Those were just two people sitting on a bench. Mm -hmm. That's not damning evidence. I think we called this from the second that Bernie got involved in those laptops, which was some time ago. Right. And then it seemed like it was going to be a nothing burger because they, they questioned her and then they let her go. And then they took pictures of her on a bench and then they questioned her again. And this time she had Joel and they let her go. And now they've arrested her again. I love D.S. Swain as much as the, as much as the next person, but this and another storyline just seems to be manufactured to put her back on the show as much as possible. And it's like, is she just going to go around and arrest everybody on the street <laughs> eventually just because we love her so much? And that's not, that's that's how you turn love to hate. <laughs> I don't think I'm in any danger of ever hating DS Swain no. because the, but hate the way she's written. Yeah, I think the the aspects of her character that we like are, are still the aspects that are there that she's determined to get to the truth and stuff. But even if it is by having evidence that doesn't make sense and no one's ever seen, I just worry. That the more that she becomes a regular character, now I'm all for. Vicky Myers and DS Swain to be in this as much as, as possible. much as possible, but it has but to make I, sense. But I don't think I want her to ever be someone that goes to the pub with another character and no. 
ends up having storylines that become outside the police because then they start to muck about with the character at that point because then of course she has to have a partner mm-hmm. and of course there has to be drama there right and i don't know that i'm interested in that the fact that she's just a an all-out police character mm-hmm. is all i think i want from this <laughs> I just find it really hilarious that they realized that Craig was never going to work as a detective. <laughs> I don't think we've seen the last of that. Uh, we haven't seen him since he threw up when he saw a dead body. I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think he'll end up coming back with his little silent partner again. His shadow. But they should they should mix up the DSs a little bit. Hmm. I mean, give Swain the big cases, absolutely. But these little... These little cases, I mean, it's like she turns up in another storyline where you're worried if that's the sort of level of crime mm. that she's investigating. Right. Let's let's keep it real. Yeah. Because I, I think it works better that way. And let's not give her a backstory. She's a policewoman. She's a DS. That's it. Yeah. Like, Gaddis. We Ex- know a little bit about Gaddis's life. Oh, and how We've much do the- we enjoy getting those little... Little yeah, the drops. little tidbits. The little tidbits. Like her wife and her kid. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes. I thought they handled the, the Paul and Billy stuff well eventually. Yeah. I don't understand why they had to be naked recording that book. <laughs> Were they naked? I didn't notice. <laughs> they had pillows over their bits. But they were naked. <laughs> their chests and their legs were uncovered. They're giving us as much Paul naked as they possibly can until he dies. There is an aspect of this whole thing, though, that is Paul dying of MND isn't drama enough. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need to have his mum going to jail for six months. Right, thrown in. yeah. And we've kind of complained about that before with the right, whole, with the whole car, car stealing. Thing, yeah. right? I know that they need to add drama to, to things, as we will see as we go through this week. But dying is dramatic enough. At a young age. Dying at a young age at MND. Yeah. Yeah. That's enough. They do, they do need to add bits to it because it's it's not... Who's going to just watch someone deteriorate over six months? Right. But learning interesting but, aspects of it, like the book and everything, that's interesting. But having so many bad things befall them while this is happening... Right. I don't know if it, if it takes away from the MND aspect of it. Yeah, because we still don't know what they're going to do to Gemma, you know, with this whole foreboding of you thinking about Munchausen's by proxy Mm. and me thinking that Joseph really is sick of like some silent killer that's that's going to, you know, affect him after Paul dies. Right. All right, let's move on to our next storyline this morning, which is Isla be getting in the way (laughs) on Monday. I'll be stealing your girl. <laughs> On Monday at home, Nina senses that something's up with Asha. Uh-oh. Reluctantly, Asha says that she and Isla had a difficult shift and doesn't want to say it anymore, saying that she can talk to Isla about it later. <laughs> Nina is miffed by this because she had plans with Asha herself, and for the first time, Nina seems put out. Asha apologises and agrees to go out with Nina later, which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. When Asha and Nina mention Isla, what jumps into your mind? Isla Fisher? Isla St. Clair? Isla Sky? Or Isla Get Me Coat? 
Isla Fisher, I think. She kind of looks like Isla Fisher. Isla Sky just gets 9.6%. Isla Get Me Coat, 14.4%. Isla St. Clair, one for the old folks, 30.8%. And Isla Fisher wins with 45.2%. Quite pleased to see that she's kind of famous still after starting off in Home and Away. Well, I mean, she she is married to Sasha Baron Cohen. Is she still married to him? I think so. They seem they seem delightful because she's so short and he's so tall. Thank you for demonstrating <laughs> short and tall to me. Yes, on a podcast. I think I always confuse them with Katy Perry and Russell Brand. Yeah, They're who are not, not together. together. No, but one is short and the other one's tall. Right. Yeah. She sells just eats now. Fucking hell. She does. She so, does other things too. I'm sure. Nina and Asha head off to the Rape Hotel for brunch. They bump into Adi outside Dev's shop. He's finished a 12-hour shift at Freshco's. Asha and Dev are keen to talk about Courtney boobs, and Dev invites the pair of them and Adi <laughs> to dinner. Good news, everybody. Isla Fisher, Sasha Baron Cohen, still married. Adi makes an excuse while Nina looks uncomfortable. In the rape hotel, Nina and Asha are enjoying fancy orange juice and are planning the rest of their day when Nina sees Courtney boobs come in with Darren boobs. She tries to manoeuvre them out, but it's too late. And Asha sees them and goes, Raj. That was so funny. It was like, it was like out of a scene of, uh, from like Three's Company or something, you know, where one person see or friends even. It was like a real sitcom moment. Like these people that one person doesn't want the other person to see. So they keep doing goofy things. Yeah, it's every episode of Terry and June and most <laughs> of season five of Frasier. <laughs> How dare you cheat my brother, she shouts, explaining that Addy is working his fingers to the bone doing 12-hour shifts at Freshco's for her. Courtney tries to explain, and then for some reason Nina pipes up that Addy already knows about this because Courtney Boobs and Darren are back together again, and the two of them slink off. Right, no, and it was hilarious because Nina tries to soften the blow by saying that it happened about a week ago, and Darren said, two weeks actually, and Nina says... Yeah, thanks for that, mate. <laughs> so funny. Right. I love it when Nina is funny. Back home, Nina and Asha continue to argue about this, which allows Nina to cast up how Asha only talks to Isla about important stuff these days. Addy comes in to explain, but Asha's heard enough and storms off to speak to Isla about all this, thus proving Nina's point. When Dev comes in, Addy confesses that he and Courtney Boobs are no longer a thing, and Dev comforts him. Yeah. Asha and Nina meet up later and apologise to each other. Asha tells Nina not to be threatened by Isla, and Nina seems to be jelly of Asha's new life away from her. That said, Nina is still proud of Asha doing what she's doing, and Asha suggests that they all meet up tomorrow and clear the air. So on Wednesday, at Dev's, Nina and Asha are preparing to meet Isla for lunch, and Nina has the idea to invite Adi along as a potential suitor for Isla. Hmm. It's also because she's dead jelly and wants some support. It seems, though, that Asha doesn't know if Isla is single or which way she swings, so all bets are off. Addy, though, is going to get a free lunch out of this, and that's all he's interested in. So he arrives early, asking to be left out of any matchmaking shenanigans, though. He's still getting over Courtney boobs. Nina is surprised to see Asha has made so much effort getting ready. Has she? It didn't look like it. No. It didn't look like a huge effort. I mean, she's still looking good. She looks nice. But it's an orange dress and a leather coat. Right. 
at the bistro, the lunch is predominantly paramedic bants, which bores Nina and Addy out of their respective tits. Nina tries to join in, but it's an exclusive Isla and Asha conversation. This is fun, says Addy. <laughs> so Addy and Nina are more or less able to talk amongst themselves unheard. Addy mentions that he isn't interested in their relationship and leaves Nina to the two of them. So later, Nina's about to get drinks, but Isla doesn't want one and she wants to be sharp for work tomorrow, so because of that, Asha doesn't want one either. Nina goes away, which allows Isla to confirm that she's happily single, not interested in Addy, and not really interested in anyone who doesn't appreciate the pressure of her work. Back home, although Nina sat through the lunch, Asha wants to talk about the things Isla said to her. Nina lies and says that isn't Isla amazeballs, but is secretly wondering how she can get out of this relationship. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. Asha's being, I think, she's de- got, deliberately she's, childish and uh, over-enthusiastic. She's got a wee girl crush. She has. You Very know. much so. And I think that's, as, as far as Isla is concerned, it kind of feels like that's the beginning and ending of it. I don't think Isla is necessarily interested in Asha as much as Asha is interested in Isla. Didn't Asha have more or less the same thoughts as she was getting hooked up with Nina. Mm. Nina says this, oh, didn't, isn't Nina great? Nina says something or other that was quite funny, blah, blah, blah. Mm. She kind of, she's all in. Yeah. And, and I think I probably agree that it is just a, a work thing. And this has exposed Asha to a whole new life. Right. A proper job? Right. Sasha had a proper job before? No. She's always she's worked, worked for her shop. dad. Yeah. Not that that's not a proper job, but you know what I mean. There's no nepotism involved here. Right. So she's now got workmates. Her workmate seems kind of cool and interesting and is good at her job. So Asha has somebody that she can look up to. Mm-hmm. I think, though, it's maybe striking a balance between how much you go on about that person right. to your significant other. Right. And your work-life balance. Right. Because Asha doesn't seem to have any work-life balance at the moment. No, because even when they're out for their lunch, that's all they're talking about is more work stuff. Yeah. So. Whereas we're very good at turning work off when we get home. Ugh, it's the last thing I want to think about. But what about Nina's approach to this then? If Asha's been a little bit too bringing her work life Mm -hmm. home, shouldn't Nina just say something now? Say, you know, you're talking about Isla an awful lot I'm not sure well, didn't she say that and Asha's like well I work with her so I'm gonna talk about her so shut up or something I don't know it's weird though because up until this point and this is strange because we are led to believe that Asha has been in school for this for like a year now mm-hmm. ever since Nina ran into the canal right and fell over mm-hmm. So funny. <laughs> anyway, um, she hasn't really had to share Asha much. No, except at all. with like her family and their their small close knit friend group of Amy and Summer, mm-hmm. and that's it. So I don't know. It seems weird. It, it feels like both of them are making mistakes. Yes. That can lead 
to nowhere good. Nina seems to be thinking that she's on the outs here. Right. And I don't know that Nina's character plays second fiddle to anybody or no. is concerned about that. No. She seems very comfortable in her own skin and in that relationship. Right. So to be suddenly worried about it now or or even jealous about it now doesn't seem like something that Nina off old perhaps would have been guilty of doing. Because she's like, Do you know what? Because she's taken a step back away from this before. Mm-hmm. You know what? This just doesn't work out. Let's just... Yeah, let's just be friends. Call it quits and yeah. we'll be friends and that. And that's fine. And then she just goes on. this is too intense too soon. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it seems like she's gotten used to having Nasha more or less all to herself. Yeah. And so now she's put out by that more than being threatened by Isla as a person necessarily. Right. But... You know, I mean, the character has changed an awful lot. When she was introduced, we had no idea she was going to turn out to be bisexual. Although we did think that they'd de-goth her within six months and they and haven't they done haven't. that. I think they've done it a little bit. There are a few, ve- there are fewer veils and like big <laughs> poofy dresses. There are fewer veils. Because yeah. I forget the veils. And the, the lipstick has been toned down a wee bit. I think her hair being blonde in parts lightens mm-hmm. her up a little bit as well yeah obviously anyway moving on our next storyline this morning is this salon ain't big enough for the both of us guess who was listening to sparks on the way home on monday david and max show up at the salon and are worried that someone has broken into the place because the door was left open what david arms himself with a telescopic brawly but it turns out it's audrey and she's here to do some work David would rather that she fucked off home or manned the phones, but nope, Audrey is having none of it. She's here to work. Later, Kirk turns up to a hairdressing salon for a haircut, despite not actually having hair. Right. He's waiting on David, but Audrey says she'll take care of him, despite Max's objections. And she's going to shampoo his hair. (laughs) His non-existent hair. But when Audrey goes to take the clippers to Kirk's head, she gets the shakes and when David points this out, she pretends that she needs to nip out and she hands the clippers to David and leaves. Why is Kirk going to a hairdresser's for a haircut? Maybe he typically goes to the barber's, but for some reason nobody's working over at the barber's shop. Beth cuts that hair for him. David tracks Audrey down to the bistro of getting wired into the vino. He takes a seat, asks her what's wrong and refuses to move until she talks about it. He notices that her hands aren't shaking anymore. Finally, she admits that she can't be a hairdresser anymore. David tells her that she's done a shift and maybe it's time to retire, but Audrey reveals that after Stephen's shenanigans, she needs the money. So Wednesday... But she can't cut hair anymore. They both they both firmly establish at that table that she can't cut hair anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's all remember this, that she can't cut hair anymore. Because her hands shake. Right. Although not while drinking wine. Right. On Wednesday at the salon, David and Gail are chatting about being worried about Audrey when Audrey comes in and announces that she wants a meeting with David and Maria later. Gail suspects this is one of those thank you meetings that happens for Mm. all the hard work they've done recently. Yes, Gail, that'll be it. So optimistic. Later at the salon, Maria bursts in demanding to know why there's an estate agent taking photos of the barbers. Audrey decides to start the meeting. She's gone back to buy Grasmere Drive, which she's never at. So to raise funds, she's going to need to sell the barbers. Furthermore, she'll be working at the salon and taking one of the chairs 
which leaves one chair free so either David or Maria will be out on their arse. Now let's remember, we just had a conversation at the bistro. Two paragraphs ago. Where Audrey said, I can't cut hair anymore. Right. And now she's going to put one of these able-bodied young people out of work so that she could pretend to cut people's hair, but then run out and go drink and allow the other person to cut the person's hair because she cannot cut hair anymore. The point- she couldn't even cut Kirk's hair, which is practically non-existent. He's, he's got a two all over. Right. And at that conversation at the bistro, she also admitted that she doesn't understand the lingo anymore. No. She's been out of the game for a year and the hairdressing lingo has completely changed. Right. A rinse in the what? <laughs> <clears throat> so none of this makes sense. At least we are admitting that Trim Up North is still a thing. Well, for now. It still exists, but nobody's working over there. So it does kind of make sense to sell it. Yeah. Because nobody's working over there. For some reason, they're working here, which doesn't make sense. No. Like people, I was reading like the Instagram comments earlier today, and it's hilarious how many people are like, wait a second, is the barbershop even still a thing? Why does nobody go there? The last I think we saw the barbers on? was when Max ripped his leg open oh, climbing yeah. out the broken window. I remember that. Yeah. And nearly dying. Right. And before that, it was Audrey nearly getting crushed by that motorcycle. So funny. So funny. It's like the show's go-to thing when they have nothing else to do is to trap old women under heavy objects. Or Rita under a Christmas That's, tree. That was the other old woman under heavy objects that I was Christmas referring to. A Christmas tree isn't a heavy object. It can be. It's not. It can be. Yeah, but that isn't. It can be, though. But it's not. That's what I was referring to, and you ruined my joke. How dare you? Oh, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> it's... It seems that like she's missing the the critical point here that right. she's the owner. Right. She sits back, lets right. these two assholes work, right. and reaps the rewards of it. Yeah. Yeah. She takes a cut from both of them. Right. She's happy. They're happy. Right. Everybody's happy. Kirk's happy. Yeah. Exactly. She makes more money as the owner than she probably would at the chair. Especially if she has two able-bodied people working their butts off, cutting other people's hair. And if she wants, she can man the phones and make right. her feel busy during the yeah. day. And she can man the phones, she can schedule. And chat to people. Right. Yeah. That seems like a None of this makes sense. No-brainer. None of this makes sense. And yet it will continue to not make sense <laughs> as we go along. Yeah. David and Maria convene that Nina rolls with Gary for some reason, discussing Audrey's bombshell. It seems both of them are worried, but Maria thinks blood is thicker than water. She's like family, but David is family, and she reckons she'll yeah, be the one that's punted. Yeah, family who stole from Audrey. Right. Gary plays with the idea of buying the barbers themselves, but Maria has enough on her plate with the council stuff, and David can't afford it. Fucking Uncle Stephen, mutters David. Yeah, but it sounds like Gary can afford it. And Maria's ex- was like, oh, well, you know, I've got the council work and, um, oh, mortgages. Am I right? And it's like, that would solve your problem. Gary's probably still doing... got some ill-gotten Rick the Chin money to spend here. Right. Yeah. So it or makes... did they give all that to Kelly? 
He didn't give it all to Kelly, I don't think. Or Kelly wouldn't let him give her all of it or something. She gave away a lot of it. She did. Some of it to Phil Mitchell from EastEnders, which was a surprise. Yeah. They go back to the salon, deciding to go with the tact that they're worried about Audrey's health and the the workload that she'll be taking on. Audrey sees through it, though, explains that she's on her own and needs to look after herself. David points out that she has a large family, all living at number eight. Audrey thinks their entitlement is astounding. Maria kind of tells Audrey to stick her job up her arse. Right! right, Up up her her arse! And storms out. Audrey then kicks David out. So in the bistro again with Gary for some reason, David and Maria are mulling over their options and how Audrey thinks they're both working against her. Gail comes in to say something stupid and asks right. David to stop Where's using... Me, <laughs> and asks using David to stop using abbreviations in these text messages. David warns that someone needs to keep an eye on Audrey. What does IDK mean? I don't know. Oh, well, somebody should know. It's like... Okay. It's like a... Somebody like, who's somebody on like, first? It's Abbott and Costello all over again. Somebody let Gail out of the box. <laughs> At the salon, Audrey and Gail have a chat. Audrey blames herself for Stephen's misdoings because she made him. Gail points out that she hasn't killed a bunch of innocent people and that Audrey is a wonderful person. What? St- Stephen's darkness and selfishness were down to him, but Audrey doesn't know how to shake And off. also, Audrey didn't raise him. She keeps forgetting this. Audrey doesn't know how to shake off his words when he blamed her for everything. But remember, though, he was just doing that as a delaying tactic while something else was going on. Right. David and Maria are on their way to drunk when Audrey comes in to apologise. She says that she's done her time and she either sells the salon or advertises for a manager. They both make arguments for themselves, but Audrey thinks that David and Maria should co-manage. Co-manage who, Max? What are they co-managing? What is going on here? First, she wants to get rid of one of them and not have any management at all and take the other chair. And then I guess Max mans the phones? Yeah, because that's who you want to talk to when you need to get your hair cut and you're 80 years old is Max. Max seems to actually be doing a decent job there. But albeit, I think he's just sweeping up. But that's probably I'm how... I'm making tea. I, I think that's how Maria started way back in the day. Yeah, sweeping up and making tea, which is fine. But it's like <laughs> there's nobody to manage. No. And the whole point was, the whole point we made was Audrey should be her own manager and then she'll make money. Because now if she's, she's not only said, okay, you can both still work here, but she's given them a both a promotion, which... Theoretically means that they're both getting a pay raise, mm. which because because they'll be actual employees and not a hairdresser renting a chair. They'll be middle management because she'll still be the owner. But you're right; they're managing themselves and Max. And maybe Max is a co-manager as well. <laughs> they're all co-managers. You're a co-manager. You're a co-manager. We're all co-managers. None of this makes any sense at all. Remember when we were like, oh, it's disturbing, but kind of interesting that we're going through, that it seems like we're getting this storyline where Audrey is really confused and doesn't understand that Stephen actually killed people and and is going to go through this state of confusion, you know, which may pitch her back into alcoholism, which 
it seems like everybody has forgotten maybe she shouldn't be on the wine to begin with, especially if that's the only way she's not shaking. (laughs) And also that she (coughs) has suicidal ideation, which everybody seems to have forgotten. Oh, she got better. Yeah, she got better. (laughs) She's better now. She's better. Yes, it was cured the same way that Craig's OCD has been cured. Yeah, and, and Ryan, Max's ADHD. And Ryan's addiction to steroids. Right. They just magically get better because... That Gaddis is good. It's the real world out here, man. I suspect the whole co-manager thing is just so Friday can happen. Which is stupid. Because on Friday, Marie and David are in the salon arguing over Vin Diesel the Weasel. Maria wants to get shot. It's just Vin Weasel, isn't it? No, it's this Vin was... Diesel the Weasel. It was... But that that's not funny. Vin Weasel is funny. Vin Diesel the Weasel is just too long. Yeah, it brevity, rhymes, so it's got that going for it. Brevity is the key to comedy. <laughs> and like, again, people... Take notes, folks. Again, people on Instagram are really confused about this, saying, isn't, isn't his name Vin Weasel, not Vin Diesel? And people are like, yeah, they forgot the name of their own weasel. And then everybody was laughing because in a minute, Audrey is going to call it Van Diesel. <laughs> she did. And they're not going to edit it. No. And they're not going to correct it. There's no way the Sue Nichols is doing take two on that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck so, it. It'll so do now it. its name is Van Van Diesel. The Weasel. With the cheerful wee face. Yeah, we've got a nice uh, close-up shot. <laughs> Muriel wants to get shot, but David thinks it's eclectic and reminds her that they get equal say on these decisions. Max doesn't care. Steve, who's in, doesn't want to upset anyone, but thinks it creeps them out and suggests they asks more customers. This is totally a Friday storyline. Later at the salon, Maria secretly gets Max to throw Vin Diesel in the skip. David is furious and calls Max a snake or a weasel. I wasn't paying attention. David would have taken it home and is pissed that there wasn't a representative sample taken. Audrey couldn't give a fuck and tells him to sort out the quarrel or one of them will be sacked as co-manager. And that's as far as we can. Of Max. Sure. <laughs> Look, if you want to continue sharing the responsibility of managing Max sweeping the floor, right. your guys will start towing the line. Right. I still don't understand why nobody works at the barbershop anymore. It's so confusing to I me. I think the salon is probably more lucrative as a more profitable business because women get charged more for their haircuts than men do it's just true but then men maybe get more haircuts than women do correct so maybe it balances out i don't know it just seems so toty compared to trim up north oh there's so much space there yeah move the salon in there right and add more chairs and get more do gents and and get more get more barbers in there you know Although apparently there's a barber shortage in Weatherfield because they all say they can go out and get a job somewhere else just like that. Right. But but then, then Maria's like, well, I don't really want to work anywhere else because I don't like the whole setup of other places. And it's like, if you're desperate for a job, you'll work anywhere. Yeah. None of this. It's the whole storyline is so manufactured to take up time. I think there's a fairly good chance that this whole 
co-manager thing will never be mentioned again. Correct. Let's move on then. To our next storyline, more of this stupid prick. On Wednesday, Dylan is heading off to school, but before he goes, Sean has a surprise for him and gives him a pair of hip kicks trainers. Yeah, that sounds cool. Dylan is made up and gives his old gay dad a hug. At school, Hope tries to buy a vape from Dylan, who refuses to sell her one because she's 12. Mason, whose hair is worse today than it usually is, appears like a bad smell and orders Dylan to make the sale, even though Hope is, as I said, only 12. So Dylan is forced to comply. Later, Dylan's conscience gets a ba- gets a better of him and he buys his vape back from Hope. But Hope, though, demands double a refund because that's totally a Hope thing to do. So now Dylan is down money. We forgot the most hilarious part of that, where Mason says to Dylan, she can handle herself with a hammer. <laughs> yes. I'm sure she can handle herself with a vape. Yeah, she brings a vape. To, she brings a hammer to school. I'm sure she can handle a vape. Right, which was a hilarious callback. To last year. To last year, when Hope brought a hammer to school. She was doing her little impromptu talks about John Stape, wasn't she? Right, yeah. yeah. She's just like, my dad, the serial killer, part two. She's like, you guys think you're watching a soap opera, but this is actually Scream 8. (laughs) Outside the medical centre later, Dylan is with Liam, moaning about how he's 10 quid down in his vape sales, and Mason is probably going to kick his head in or breathe on him or something. Mason looks like his breath absolutely honks, like a cat's eating a hunk of blue cheese and then shut it into his mouth. Liam feels sorry for his old friend who abandoned him and slips him a tenner out of his own money. That was nice. That was nice. It was, And it was nice that we get to see Liam again. On Friday, early doors, Mason turns up at Dylan's, who hands over cash and the vapes that he couldn't sell. Mason is such a prick, he tells Dylan, to get them shifted or else. Dylan, though, manages to flog a couple to a passing Simon for Peter, who loves a vape. I thought he'd given the vapes up. No, he stopped smoking in favour of vaping. Well, he went back to smoking briefly and then he went back to vaping. No, Toya so talked, to him, talked him down. Toya talked him down. He didn't smoke again. Oh. Sean is in dev, surprised to see Hope, who explains that it's an in-service day. That's news to Sean, who saw Dylan leave early doors. Hope is a total grass. Meanwhile, Cassie is suspicious of where Hope has got all her money to buy all these snacks from devs. Right. And so- also tells her that she's a grass and she shouldn't be mm-hmm. throwing Dylan into it. Simon catches Dylan later and is furious that the vapes are wonky and don't work. Simon wants his money back and looks ready to smack Dylan upside the head until Steve shows up. Steve keeps showing up! And everyone remembers that snitches get stitches. Simon suggests that Dylan dumps the vapes before he gets his pie booted in. And we did get a chance to see Simon doing that face that he does when he's trying to be threatening. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. It is. So at home, Sean... It does look like he's starting to maybe attempt to to grow facial hair which hopefully will make him look more threatening and less like like a cute little chubby cheeked kid simon is much older than dylan yeah and And dylan is not threatened by simon one little bit and yet (laughs) and yet and why i still don't understand why simon doesn't hang out with uh all the other people his age on the show He's at a kind of weird age, though. He's more or less the same age as Amy, his cousin. And Asha and Addie and and Nina. Nina's the oldest of the bunch, isn't she? He's a little older than Amy. Yeah, so he's around Nina's age. So it's like with Max. I don't understand why 
why Max isn't doesn't hang out with the older kids at all. I know he's younger than them, but not by much. He can drink legally, can he? I mean, I know that they've given him actual friends now. He's got Gav. <laughs> Never see Gav anymore. We we saw him what two weeks ago when he spilled water on um oh, Tim, that's, that's... and then Tim tried to beat the crap out of him. That was classic Gav, right enough. Oh, Gav. Oh, Gav. And his sister. Yes. Who is Max's girlfriend? You'd think we'd see her more often. Yeah, the show's doing these characters a disservice. And again, I think it's just because there's far too too many many of them. Yeah. Yeah. So the ones that we actually want to see, we don't see. And then this fucking prick, we get to see. Like in two storylines this week, it's unfair. Just boot him. Nobody likes him. Make him go away. We don't need yet another bullying storyline because we were just reminded that there was a bullying storyline last year. Only that bullying storyline also involved racism. But this one seems to be about homophobia. It's going to come out that Mason's gay, isn't it? Of course he is. Of course he is. Look at that hair. (laughs) No gay man, no self-respecting gay man would walk around with that hair. (laughs) I I know. I just wanted to have another dig at his hair because it's so, so (laughs) stupid. His hair is straight. Mason is gay. Sean is mad at Dylan for selling the vapes. Sean has drowned the lot in the sink, which makes Dylan actually roar in anger. Rawr! (laughs) I'm not sure why, because they were fucked anyway, as per Simon's complaint. Right, yeah, but he's going to get his face booted in if he doesn't sell them. Tyrone looks out of place when he turns up at Eileen's about Hope's vape that she bought from Dylan. Dylan says that he got them from a bloke at a tram stop, which no one believes. Sean asks if it's that prick with the dodgy hair's fault, and at this Dylan storms out. And I thought Hope was a handful, says Tyrone. Hope was a handful. Hope is a handful. Where's Alina these days, Tyrone? (laughs) And your secret baby? And your Romania tattoo that you still have? (laughs) Let's never forget that. He has a... The Romanian flag tattooed on his leg. Yeah. Never forget. Never forget. At the community garden, Dylan is chatting about his woes to Liam when Mason turns up looking for his money. And calls them gay. Oh, he's so gay. So gay. Dylan explains that the vapes have been destroyed. Mason wants blimmin' paid. That's how hard he is. He wants blimmin' paid. Mm. And if Dylan doesn't have money, he'll take his fucking trainers. So he does. Which we knew Dylan was going to happen. To walk home in his bare feet. Which we knew was going to happen the second Sean gave him those shoes. Right. Which were ugly and hideous. And <laughs> what kind of a name is Hip Kicks? That's, that's the name of a shoe that a 45-year-old man thinks thank, thank is you very cool. Much. Thank you very much for taking five years off my life there. 45-year-old rider is like, I need a name for really cool shoes and I can't use like Nike or Adidas or Converse or anything. I've got to make it up. What do the kids say these days? The kids love their kicks on Route 66, (laughs) but let's spell it with an X. Yes, yes, because the kids are down with the X. Oh, cool, a pair of hip kicks. (laughs) Why not... You know, name it after another Greek goddess. Ten Bob Sliders. <laughs> and I said 45 because you're much cooler than that at 50. <laughs> you, would, you would do better. I'm a nifty 50. You would do much better. 
that a 45-year-old single man who's never met a teenager in his life, even when he was one. Actually, I have to confess, when they mentioned hip kicks, I did think, that sounds like a name I would come up with. <laughs> just, just being absolutely honest. Because when we were teenagers, people did call their sneakers kicks. People don't do that anymore. And they were hip. Yeah, nothing's hip anymore. Not hipsters, even Huey Lewis in the news. Hipsters ruined the word hip. God damn you, hipsters. God damn you, hipsters. Should we move on? We need to move on. Uh, just to summarise quickly, I hate Mason. I want him to die. Yes. Okay. Our next storyline, just a couple of really quick storylines here. First one, a flat development. On Friday, Tyrone is in the cabin and surprised to see Jenny helping out. I'm surprised that Tyrone's in the cabin and I'm surprised that Jenny's in the cabin. What kind of topsy-turvy world is this? Right, because Tyrone is buying a newspaper, even though he reads the Gazette online. Tyrone hopes, everyone does. Tyrone hopes the rovers will be open soon and Jenny will be back where she belongs. Brian hopes so too, as the places are nice, so we're all boarded up like that. And he makes a point to call Waterfords to see what the fucking deal is. But later, <laughs> Brian reveals that the rovers is back on the market. Waterford is worried about the serial killer vibe that the place has now and they want shot. Which is just fucking ridiculous. Rita thinks that Jenny should buy the place back, but Brian has learned that a property developer is already involved wanting to turn the place into flats. Yeah, like that's gonna happen. Rita runs off to speak with Tim Rita runs off to speak to Maria, who confirms that the property company have submitted their development plans, which has been approved by the council. Dun dun dun. I don't know why we're pretending that the Rovers is going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. It's just so ridiculous because it kind of negates all those really heartfelt scenes. Oh, always does when they do this. Doesn't it? Like there are all these really heartfelt scenes and then we're just going to go back to pretending nothing ever happened. So, it's like it's like remember when they were just gonna mow down all of Coronation Street and build high rises? Coronation Towers, I remember that. Coronation Towers. The skyscraper that uh, Ray Weinstein was going to build. Right, yeah. With Debbie's help. Now this storyline was never was ne- it was never going to deliver the change that I think arguably The Rovers need. The Rovers need, right? It right. was never going to deliver that. But this feels the show like a whole... kinda, They didn't really spoil it themselves, but they did allow tours onto the street while the Christmas shows were getting filmed, and some intrepid tourists took a photograph of the place where the rovers no, is. No, it was the photo of Claire Sweeney on, in, on Instagram. Which, which they have since done, but yeah. first of all, that was just visitors on the set. So if you want to find out what happens to the rovers over Christmas, you can find out. Nothing is the, is right, the answer. Because it seems like Claire Sweeney, the Claire Sweeney photo, it's still boarded up. So you could arguably say, well, we just haven't fixed it yet. We, we, we just haven't changed the sign yet. And that would be the end of it. But the tours after the Claire Sweeney photo where it's still like that and supposedly they're filming the Christmas episodes, that's like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe don't do tours. Or, or ask people not to take photographs of this. Or, yeah, like that would ever happen. Well, you can put some burly 
uh, bouncers on the door and yeah, but then they would have to spend money on burly bouncers. I suppose. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I intentionally we're, we're left continue- that out of Corey News, but we're continuing continuing to to just let's just go along with this. The rovers is in danger. Sure, they did miss a trick there, I think. But anyway, it'll be good to have it back because having pints in the bistro just looks weird. It does. All right, our penultimate one is: Do you want a bet? On Friday, the Bailey Z is now in possession of a credit card in the name of one Norris Cole. He quickly hides it from Michael, who's off to soft play with Glory. Soft play! And presumably Harry. There's also some chat about Ed making a Wendy house, but it's unsure if that's for Glory or Michael, although Aggie has promised it. Right, from beyond Invisib- the grave. Invisible Aggie has promised us Wendy house. So the builder's yard... How ro- cute is Glory? Oh, just the cutest Oh, kid. she's so cute! At the builder's yard, Ronnie is checking to make sure Ed wasn't gambling online, but he wasn't. He was looking up windy houses instead. Ed what wa- is a windy house? It's, well, when I was growing up, a windy house was like a wee fabric, not a fabric, a vinyl kind of tent thing in the shape of a house that mostly girls would play in. Why was it called a windy house? Does it have something to do with Peter Pan? Probably. Huh. So like a tree house, but not up a tree. And not made of wood. Ha. And predominantly populated by girls. Ha. Having little tea parties with her with her friends in a Wendy house. She seems a bit young for a Wendy house. A little. Yeah. A little. But apparently they have a Wendy house at soft play. <laughs> yes. Ed wants to borrow money from the company account to pay for this Wendy house. Maybe Wendy houses are more sophisticated now. Now that it's not the 1970s. Right, yeah. Let's remember what our Halloween costumes were like in the late 70s, early 80s. Were you suffocated under vital? It wasn't even a thing. Oh, well, for you, it wasn't even a thing. It is now. You're welcome. Ed wants to borrow from the company account to pay for this Wendy house, but Ronnie puts a kibosh on that. Ed announces it's going to a Gambler's Anonymous meeting, but really, it's going to the casino. So much for Peter's wise words a couple of weeks ago. Well, maybe, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's a Gambler's Anonymous meeting at the casino. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be the right place to do it, right? The fact is, though, that Ed's phoning streetcars about this. I think it's Tim that answers the phone. (laughs) Surely Tim knows about this. Time has passed and Ed is at home looking for help to get a Wendy house hidden and needs Michael to cause a distraction. And when Michael rushes off to do that, Ed goes to cut Norris's card in half, but seems to pause. So therefore doesn't cut the card in half. Right, yeah. Poor dead so, Norris. So he's been at the casino? Or did he not go to the casino? We don't see him at the casino. We don't see him yeah, leaving like to go to the casino. Yeah, like they were going to pay for a casino set. They've had a casino before. Not in a long time. But he's... He's gone and he's come back and he has a Wendy house now. Supposedly. Supposedly. We don't see that either. No. So I'm really confused. What and the we fuck really got to get is. those pallets out of the backyard first. I'm really confused about this. Me too. He goes to cut the card. He clearly doesn't. No. So he's used the card to get the money. For the Wendy house and to gamble? Right. Because if you're going to use the credit card that's in somebody else's name to gamble, wouldn't you be better just buying the fucking Wendy house with a credit card maybe that's what happened or maybe both like I said Dia Swade is going to have a field day with this one eventually off the paper we're just we're just setting up 
We're just setting up storylines for her, one after the other. The paper trail on this is going to be so confusing. All right, our final storyline is Amy's not all right. On Monday, Amy bumps into Nina and Asha, antsy because of another deadline coming up in her uni work, which allows Nina to quote Douglas Adams. I really like that. Yes, me too. I love deadlines. I love the noise they make when they whoosh by. Yep. Seems there's a march tomorrow that Asha and Amy will be attending to protest the recent spate of drink, drink spiking, although Amy has promised Steve to focus on her coursework. And Summer will be there too. In the other roles, Amy runs into the woman from the community centre the other day and the two of them get chatting and the woman explains how she was date raped during a night out at a club in town. Amy is upset and apologetic and realises how she hasn't dealt with her own rape and how she hasn't got any of it sorted out in her head. Now, she's been volunteering with this group that deals with assault mm. for a while now. This has been her thing. Right. One would assume this is not the first time she's heard a woman tell her story. Maybe it's the Maybe first time she's heard a story that's very as much like her own. To hers. Yeah. yeah. Which, let's be honest doesn't make sense that this would be the first time she would have heard a story specific to herself i mean i think generally speaking i applaud that we're coming back to this Mm. because amy just getting over things like amy gets over things because she's so strong 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 woman trope so strong as as tired and unnecessary so i'm glad that we are coming back to it it does feel a bit clunky I i do feel that it's been a little Long, especially, as you said, given the circumstances of what she's doing volunteer-wise. Right. But again, this seems to be a consequence of having too many storylines and too many characters. It's like you don't, you can't launch this when it would would have arguably made more sense to do so. Right, yeah. And it just, it feels like a very clunky reintroduction to all of this. It would have made much more sense if she was like at this volunteer centre working with other women, and to have this. Although it might have been an idea to have it pitched as the weight of all the stories that she's been hearing has made her realise this, rather than just one, which kind of makes a little bit more sense. Later, a tearful Amy explains what happened to Summer, how she couldn't help the woman. She had no words that would make a difference. Summer tells her that she doesn't need to have the answers and maybe she needs to help herself first. So Amy decides to go on that march tomorrow after all. Her priorities have changed and she insists that she has time to do that and her uni coursework. On Wednesday, in number one, Amy is preparing signs for her demo, which makes Steve concerned that she hasn't done her homework, complaining that he and Tracy are spending a fortune on her education. Hello, student loans! And in her roles, Amy manages to rope Evelyn and Cassie into her protest march. Which is nice. Even looking forward to a good scrap with the filth. Yeah, yeah. It's nice that she's getting involved. It isn't nice that the show seems to forget that this isn't the first time she's been involved in a protest for women's rights. Because she sounded like she was being sarcastic about, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And then Cassie's Cassie's like, like, great, let's do it. Thanks mom, let's do this. And then I thought, we'll see Evelyn being, oh, I didn't really mean that. But she did. Yeah. So I felt like they did remember that. Yeah, eventually. Is it weird how Cassie and Evelyn just seem to be getting on now? One hundred percent okay with one another now. Yeah, it's, isn't uh, that strange? It's Billy, Todd, and Paul all over again. <laughs> it really 
Ahead of the protest, Summer and Roy are a bit worried about the strength of the message on Amy's placards. Police must stop failing women. Roy, who's a bit of an apologist for the boys in blue, also thinks it's a bad idea for Amy to be carrying super glue around with her. Yep. Everyone is getting on Amy's tits today. Yes. And and everybody reminds her of what her mum did with super glue. <laughs> Just a, a few short months ago. Right. When Amy was raped. So the protest is Amy, Summer, Evelyn and Cassie with Toya meeting up with them later. As they march to the town hall, they run past that prick Mason and his cronies and Mason immediately starts with the insults, calling the women munters. Cassie is surprised that Mason can read. The red mist descends on Amy and she kind of wafts Mason's ugly fucking head with her sign just as the cops roll by and demand everyone stands down. Summer and Amy tell the cops that Mason was misogynistically provocative, which he absolutely was. Evelyn calls him a halfwit who can't lie straight in bed. And I was loving <laughs> that both Cassie and Evelyn are giving it so tight to Mason. Yeah. And he's just having to stand there like a fucking idiot and take it. Isn't it interesting that he only seems to have other friends in scenes like this? Like it was this and then when Ryan moved in. Yes. Those are the only times that we see him with anyone other than Dylan. Right. The copper really doesn't want to get involved in this, reckons Mason should be at school and that Amy should calm the fuck down and he lets everyone off with a warning. Amy is furious... And tells her to smile more. (laughs) Amy is furious that she's been treated like a criminal. The crowd disperses. The cops wander off somewhere for some reason. So Amy takes her spray paint to the cop's car and very much seems to write cunt on the passenger side door. (laughs) We never get to see what she wrote. I was very disappointed in that. Now, we do see that it ends on an NT later. And I took... Yeah, I took the image that we saw off the side of the car and popped it through Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And Photoshop has this thing called perspective warp where you can take like a narrow image and broaden it out. Uh And it kind of fills in the blanks and... And right. that, that's what was written on the car. It kind of just looks like scribble. Like like it's just like this. Like it's not anything. You can see the NT at the end though, right? Possibly. But again, the lines are like so together that it, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like letters. I mean, the last thing could possibly be a T. I can definitely see cunt written there. <laughs> well, I've, you're Scottish. I've asked, I've asked Elle Mulvaney to confirm, but she hasn't yet. And... I don't expect that she will. No. Anyway. She lost Georgia. Summer shouts on Amy, which attracts the cops' attention. And this is like so stupid. Right. The cops are walking away. I know. I said to Summer, I was like shouting at my iPod, Summer, shut the fuck up. Amy, Just grab her and go. Amy, stop Amy, doing that. stop doing that. That's bad. So this attracts the cops' attention and Amy gets lifted for criminal damage. The police are good at protecting property, I notice. Mm, Summer is suddenly apologetic as Amy is carted off. This is all Summer's fault. (laughs) Yes. Amy continues her loud protest as she's taken to the cop shop. Swain. And somehow Summer appears right behind Amy. As she gets dragged into the cop shop. What did right. she, how did she get there so quick? <laughs> she ran really, really fast. She, she, She's a flash. She got she got Paul to take her on his electric wheelchair. Maybe that's why it's out of juice in another storyline. Yes. 
Swain warns Summer that she's going to have a long wait on her pal. So Amy is in the interview room with the arresting officer and she does not give a solitary fuck, blaming him for letting rapists and training Mason walk free. You damaged a police car and you show no remorse, says the copper. Amy seems to have the upper hand against this joker, accusing the police for not caring about crimes against women. Swain, at this point, has to intervene and Amy starts quaking in her boots, which she does not absolutely do at all. Swain explains how Amy is making matters worse for herself. She actually agrees about Mason, and she says that she does her bit to educate young boys. Amy thinks it's all talk, and says, if you're here to charge me, then do it. Swain says, Amy pops into her mind a lot, and she regrets not being able to deliver justice for her. She agrees it's messed up, and sometimes, no, the police try their best, but they fail. She says Amy getting arrested isn't going to help, and she needs to trust people who care about her. She wants Amy to move forward, so she lets her go. Amy is stunned. Why, says Amy. I'm the supervising officer, and I say so. And she tells Amy she doesn't want to see her again. And I thought that scene was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was a good scene. It was a good scene. And I like Swain like this. This is okay. I don't really like the manufactured way that, you know, Amy spray paints a police car and Summer shouts at her really loud so the cops turn around. That was awful. Awful. And then Summer just stands there like, what's going on here? This you is your fault. Arrest her? They can arrest her, Summer. Oh, just so bad. Because that that's so bad. what cops are for protecting property, <laughs> not people. Yep. Now, it was good. It was a good scene. And it was, I thought we were maybe going to hear a little bit about Swain's own experiences in this field. I thought maybe that's where she was going with that. But she was. Yeah, you don't want her to do that, remember? Want, I don't. And I don't want her to do that. Right. But <clears throat> I thought she kind of got close to it and mm -hmm. close enough to it for it to work and saying that, you know, that sometimes they fail and that she's been thinking about her was uh, a nice little touch as well. So anyway, Amy gets back to the street, dropped off by a cop car that has cunt rent on the side of it. <laughs> she's not exactly falling to pieces with remorse here. She hooks up with Addy and then heads off for oh, a curry this with him. Is, this is where she has the... Deep, meaningful talk with Addy. In Speed Dial, Amy talks frankly to Addy about how she is and how she feels and how she gets angry, but she insists that she's doing okay, all things considered. It's just ugly, smelly boys who get under her skin. Amy gets the goss on Courtney boobs and resists for two seconds from saying, I told you so, before saying, I told you so. The two of them share a moment and agree to pick each other up when they're down. Amy heads off under the excuse of doing her essay. But then we see Amy didn't go home and instead she's in town going into a nightclub where she seems well known by the door staff. Yes. So on Friday, Amy sneaks out of the house and is caught by Tracy and Steve. Steve's hanging out the window mm. and they're in their, uh, and they're in their cheetah, cheetah print yeah. onesies. She claims that she has to hand her essay in and she says that she went out with friends last night and intends to do the same tonight. Steve doesn't care as long as her college work is done. And Nina's rolls, Amy and Asha are chatting about Amy's arrest yesterday. Asha is proud that she made a stand, but wants Amy to keep out of jail. She then invites Amy to an early birds deal at the bistro. Amy wants to bring along Addy. Ooh, twit to woo, says Asha. Mm -hmm. So Amy and Ad asks Addy to join her, Asha and Summer and insists it's not a girly thing. Addy's still feeling a bit raw about Courtney boobs and Amy looks like she fancies a bit of Addy still. At the bistro, Amy and Asha are chatting about how boring Asha's life is these days. Amy thinks Asha's been texting Isla like a motherfucker, which Asha quickly dismisses. It turns out Summer's going to be late, 
thanks to Paul's wheelchair running out of juice. Amy's had enough and fucks off, leaving Asha on her lonesome and heads into town. Where they've all gotten very excited about an early bird special at the bistro. Like they're all 80 years old and retired. Right. There's a little bit of bingo happening later as well. What does this show think young people do? Maybe maybe this is what young people do for fun these days. Amy heads back into the nightclub and sneaks in when a fight breaks out in the line. Inside she gets chatty to a married bloke who warns her that the place is a bit of a meat market full of dodgy characters. Amy seems to be counting on that and sees a bloke obviously spiking a woman's drink. Yes. She watches him take it to a woman who has six sheets to the wind and Amy walks between them and the drink goes flying. Amy apologises and quickly escorts a woman to the loo. Meanwhile back home, Asha runs into Addy who seems to be back... Back in the house stealing food from Dave. Right. Asha suggests that they watch a new dating show on TV, so two of them do that. Because Nina doesn't <clears throat> approve. Right. At the nightclub in the bogs, Amy explains to the woman that the guy spiked her drink and that's why she spilt it. It was deliberate. The woman isn't grateful until Amy reveals that she was raped and has been looking out for low lives to keep women safe. The woman now believes Amy, thanks her and leaves. The bloke is waiting outside the toilets. <clears throat> And Amy calls him a sex pest after the woman leaves, saying that he's just after drunken slappers. But then she seems to offer herself up to him, calling herself Claire. He says, no, he sa- she, says, she says to him, the, the woman says, you know, that he's a sex pest and walks off. And he says to her, Amy, what did you tell her? And he's like, she's like, well, I think that you're worth more than just a drunken slapper. That's not yeah. I very confused about that. Yeah, so <laughs> that, you know, she's she's... She's buttering him up, which is weird and creepy and I don't like. No, I don't like it either. So despite offering it on the plate, Dan goes off to spike another drink and Amy knows it's spiked, swaps him over and he ends up drinking it because when they're dancing, he seems to be a sweaty fucker. What sort of, what's, he, what's, what sort of drinks are these? Because it all looks like Sprite. It looked like long vodkas to me. He goes off and gets another drink and spikes this one too. And then says that it doesn't feel too good. Amy wants to go back to his, but Dan staggers off and collapses on the stairs. Amy tells him to get up because he's going to get them thrown out. And then calls Addy to pick her up and drags Dan outside with the help from a bouncer. Of course, at this point, we don't know that it's Addy that she has called. Right. So Addy leaves Asha while she's getting a text from Isla. And Addy turns up in the car and Amy asks for his help to get this prick into the car. Addy helps... Amy gets Addy <coughs> driving to the middle of nowhere, drags Dan out of the car. Amy explains that he was spiking girls' drinks and has a, had a taste of his own medicine. But then she puts black tape over his mouth and ties him up. Right. Addy worries that you'll die, but Amy doesn't give a fuck and says that she's dead inside herself. She tells Addy to go with her or not, but Addy is a good kid, so calls an ambulance saying that Amy isn't herself and she needs help. This isn't the justice that she's looking for and killing Dan will only make things worse. Right. He doesn't know how to make things better for Amy, but he promises to help her figure it out. Back home, Steve and Tracy are still in their matching onesies. They're eating popcorn as they wait for Amy to get home and if she's not back in an hour, she's calling Summer, who is a useless grass and will definitely spill the beans. Now, once again, this does not look like a couple in crisis. No. (laughs) They're sitting there eating popcorn with one another. Not blaming one another for how Amy has turned out. <laughs> yes, that's definitely not what they're doing. And then we end up back at the hospital.
So Addy and Amy dump Dan at the A and E with so Addy. So they didn't call an ambulance. With Addy saying they found him outside the nightclub, passed out with the drugs in him. The nurse thinks they may have saved his life and asks them to stay put while she calls the police. Amy panics, but Addy says it'll be fine so long as they stick to their story. Amy, though, wants to tell the truth and doesn't think Addy should lie for her. She regrets getting them involved. Addy thinks that she'll get arrested and doesn't want to visit her in prison. And at this, Swain turns up wanting to know what Amy had to do with all this, saying this is far too much of a coincidence. Addy sticks to the story, though, and backs up Amy's innocence and how they suspected Dan is a sex pest. Swain tells her to go home and they'll arrest Dan for possession. But Amy is furious. This guy's a rapist. Swain wonders how she would know that that story is true. She tells him they better hope Dan backs them up. And doesn't die. And at home, Addy and Amy are apologetic about how this went. Addy is sorry that he dropped her after she got raped and he didn't know how to deal with it. He let her down as a friend, but he wants to make it up to her now. They're in this together. Then Steve and Tracy come down the stairs to see what's going on. Addy sneaks out while Amy promises that she's done with all these late nights. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Now, Dan, if and when he wakes up, can very easily say... I don't know where those drugs came from. Exactly. And, and, and will say that. And who is holding who is holding those drugs in his ungloved hand, getting his fingerprints all over it when they came into the hospital? Addy. Addy's fingerprints are all over those drugs. Hmm. And probably covering up any of Dan's fingerprints on those drugs. So Addy might be in more trouble than Amy is. In this storyline. And I'm sure there's still tape residue around that man's mouth. And probably evidence of his hands being tied at one point. I'd be amazed if they go into that much detail. <laughs> it's amazed. Swain. It's Swain. She loves the details. She lives in the details. I do think Amy's in bother here. Yeah, but I think she's gotten one Addy. I think she's gotten Addy in even more bother. And I think it was very intentional that he's the one holding those drugs. I don't know how I feel about this. No, I don't know how I feel about it either because it's just like, man, the the apple doesn't really fall far from the tree, does it? I'm really glad that the the storyline has come back. I'm glad that they're treating Amy like a real human being. Are and, they? And having, well, let me finish. And having trauma about what happened to her and how she hasn't dealt with it and how... When she says that she feels dead inside, I absolutely felt heart sorry for her. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an important part of the storyline is the aftermath of this and how Amy has tried to ignore it as much as she can, has found that she can't ignore it and and feels the way that, that she does. I think that this is doing the character, this is servicing the character well rather than just saying, okay, she's better now, so let's move on with the next Amy storyline that has nothing to do with anything. Right, yeah. It where took, I, took a long I, time. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that much. What I, what I think I'm having trouble with is this kind of exploitation part of the storyline, which feels, I don't know, I, I saw I spit in your grave far too young in life. Mm-hmm. But in that, a woman is brutally raped 
in the first half of the movie and spends the second half of the movie getting their revenge on mm-hmm. the people that, that raped her. Right. And this feels kind of not obviously as, as graphic or as brutal as that, but the fact that she's going and drugging the rapists well, has that kind of exploitation-ish feel to it to me a bit. She's not putting the drugs in the drinks. No. But so she's, she's not drugging them. She's well, just she's, switching the drinks. Right. If there's nothing in the drink, then it's fine. Yeah. She's switching them over knowing that it's drugged. So she is kind of drugging them. Right. But just so they don't drug other women. Yes. And, and I know. But that part of it, and it's, I'm not on the side of the rapists here at all, but it's the fact that she's taking this kind of vigilante approach doesn't feel all that Amy to me. And I'm also... Or maybe it does. Maybe it is. As I'm saying that she takes matters into her own hands. Yeah. Yeah. And she is Tracy's daughter. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that. You know, the show didn't let us forget that when Roy mentioned the fact that her mother had super glued her hand to the police station. Right. You know. But, yeah, it... Okay, first of all, she's been going into this nightclub fairly regularly for quite some time now every night this week is as much as we know about that right but like she's familiar with the bouncer at the door says you've been here every night this week right she has watched this man drug other women during the week gathering evidence that this is what he does supposedly supposedly this is how she figured it out she reckons that he's the guy who drugged the woman that she met earlier on in the week that's i i don't think that's true she said as much did she mm-hmm. because that's a far far stretch it's a bit of a leap it is a bit of a leap because this was supposed to be someone around that young woman's age whereas this man is like in his late 30s it seems he's not in his 20s i don't think eh, it's he, he hard to tell the nightclub but so she's been observing this man drugging other women. The way it's so blatantly obvious that he is drugged, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where the bartender says, Oi, get that man out of here. If he'd been doing this all week, the club would have seen lots of women falling over like that as well. Wouldn't they have? I don't know how successful he's been earlier on in the week. He's the worst drink spiker ever because he's no. kind of doing it at the bar. It yeah, seemed. like blatantly. <laughs> he's worse. With his little pipette. He, he's worse than Stephen was sticking the LSD right in front of the cameras in the factory. Right. And I know that they need to make it obvious, but come on. He's come standing on. at the bar pretty much. Right. Yeah. Into these weird clear drinks that look like Sprite. <laughs> Long vodkas, I'm, I'm almost certain. They're fizzy, though. Yeah, that's as a long vodka. Are they? Yeah, because it, it has lemonade in it. Does it? Fizzy lemonade. Okay. So it's like, in order to get her revenge, she's been watching other women get drugged all week long? Well, we don't know how how successful she's been. There's just so many gaps in this plot that make it seem absolutely ridiculous. The way, the way I kind of picked it up was that Amy has been the drink spiking police walking around the club making sure it's not been happening 
on Friday's episode, she sees it happening and she takes action against it. I don't know if she had any success doing this she tells previously that in the woman, week. She tells that woman that that man has been drugging other women. And that's when she's talking about the woman that she met at the community centre. But she's just assuming that this is the same guy. I, I'm, I, that I'm, woman did not give her any details about what that guy looked like, how old he was, where they hang out. She didn't even mention the name of a club. I think this is the only club. But because I think this is a this is a club that Amy collapsed outside of a year or so ago. How is there only one club and it seems like there's nothing else on the street? Yeah. It's it's like them talking about the food pyramid in Priscilla. There's like one detail, one stupid flyaway detail that's absolutely wrong. And it just makes the whole house of cards fall apart. And then you start noticing the other ridiculousness of the storyline. And maybe this is not the way the show should be having Amy go through her recovery. Yeah, the vigilante if, Amy it's, part of it yeah. becomes a, a strange complication. Right. Become, I, I don't mind her. I, I don't think, now that I've thought about it, I don't mind her getting this one up on this sleazeball that's doing it. But given that sleazeball a backstory mm-hmm. of earlier on in the week, does raise more questions than it than it answers. And what you would you would think once once he's obviously drugged, once he's obviously drugged, just leave him in the club. Right. You have no obligation to this man. Just leave him there. Just leave him there. Well, she wanted to kill him. Well, in, initially she didn't because they were going to where she thought his house was. I don't think that was ever the intention. That was just what she was telling him. What she was telling Addy that his his address was in this industrial park. She never park? knew that. She never knew that. That was just so Addy didn't freak out. No, because she seems frustrated as well, and yet she does have. How did she? How did she carry that tape and that rope in her teeny tiny little bag? Because that's Addy's car. Addy didn't have tape and rope in the back of his car, and well, if he did have there's... tape and rope in the back of his car, then that off that opens up a whole hell of other questions. There's probably a hardware store in the nightclub. <laughs> just for this purpose right no I, I think no, she wanted there's... to kill him she wanted to kill him she didn't want to freak Addy out she knew that they were going to the middle of nowhere where she was just going to dump him that, that's what I took from it but you know that fe- it feels like a step too far doesn't it yeah and that's where the exploitation part of right, it comes in that, yeah. that makes me feel a little I'm not sure if I like the way that this is going no no just leave him in the club and go home with Addie. Done. Then your hands, then you are not the person bringing them in. It's also really frustrating because this is just like last week with Brian saying, oh, well, we're going to call the police. And then we cut away. And then we find out that Brian never called the police. Here, <laughs> Addie says, I'm going to call an ambulance. We pull away. And then they're dragging this idiot into, instead of just letting the ambulance pick him up, the ambulance people find the drugs. The ambulance people who have gloves on take the drugs out of the dude's pocket. Mm-hmm. And Addy doesn't go to jail. I don't know that Addy's going to go to jail. I'm very worried about Amy, though. No, I think that was very deliberate that it was Addy holding those drugs. Well, we will, we will see. I mean, I, I get Amy doesn't trust the system 
and Amy doesn't think that leaving this guy alone is going to make any difference and will stop him from doing exactly the same thing next week once he's recovered and stuff. But this this is not Amy. This is not the Amy getting better storyline that I no. hoped it was going to be. Because this or is arguably like worse. It, right. That she's kind of more descending. And maybe she has to descend a bit more before she gets better. But But it seems like a huge escalation after after months of it seeming like the show has forgotten the storyline for suddenly not only for us to realize that Amy is still really not okay, but also she's going to murder a man, you know? Right. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Oh God. What was my moment of the week? I kind of want to give it to the onesies. Hi, it's Gavin here. You may know me from this podcast you've been listening to. I'm having to interrupt proceedings here as our memory card shut the bed at this point when we were recording and we lost some audio. In the conversation about moment of the week, after some discussion, we ended on my own prediction from Twitter after Wednesday's episode and we awarded it to the scene with DS Swain admitting to having failed Amy during the interview. And now, back to your regular scheduled podcast. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Is it Vin Weasel? Well, you seem to hate Vin Weasel, the I Diesel. L- I like Vin Weasel. The Diesel. <laughs> I would like to take Vin Weasel home myself oh? and put him right here in the office. I'm surprised you haven't done that already. <laughs> it's taxidermied animals are not as thick on the ground as one would think. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Probably. Um, I mean, we didn't get any Daniel this week. And the Chesney bit was just too short to no be. No stew either. Fine. Vin Diesel the Weasel. Which Vin part of Weasel. It? Just, just the whole, well, that whole storyline being so manufactured. The fact that we have these two managers managing Max and arguing about a weasel. Okay. For a moment of the week. It makes no sense. I think that just about works. Yes. All right. What is your score out of 10 this week, Helen? Oh, fucking hell, seven. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I liked, I liked. There were parts that were really good, and then there were storylines that didn't make sense. So it's not a perfect score. Oh, it's not a perfect score at all. No, but I think yeah, maybe seven's probably fair. All right, then that bit wraps up for another week. Then this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast: Daisy, French, Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, and Noel. If you've ever had an argument about a taxidermied animal. Write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. We're almost done with the list. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... Talk of the Street. Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.